My name is Dan. I'm one of the uh, preachers here, and we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 34 and 35, which is on page 344 of your church Bibles. And on this cool fall morning, I can tell even as I start to talk that before I get done, I'm going to probably need a cup of water. If anybody could get me a very small one and bring it up here. Thank you. I'm sure I'll need it. Page 344. Have you ever been to a wedding and a funeral on the same day? I have. It is very exhausting. It's about three years ago. We, Becky and I got up and we drove to her mom's funeral. And then we got in the car and then we drove to a wedding of a good friend of mine. It was absolutely exhausting. I remember thinking, the only good thing about this is, is that the wedding comes second. Really. But it was a very, very exhausting day. You see, I mean, you literally are seeing one marriage end, and then you're going to, a, to the beginning of another marriage. Um, just extreme sadness, extreme joy, all at once, kind of mixing together. I think the, the only commonality that I thought about, in, just in the, in the heat of the moment was that somehow, someway, God had orchestrated both of them. There was a God, and he was behind both. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, but I'm sure you have been to at least one of each of those events, or probably both. Both of them show us a glimpse of eternity from two very different angles. Both take us out of our routine and get us thinking about something a lot bigger than what we consider normal. And all throughout the Bible, we see that on one day, on a global scale, both of these things are going to happen at once. There will be a line drawn. You only get to be in one of them. Though nations rise and fall throughout history, a line is drawn. You get to go to one of these things one day. And often through some really strong imagery, the message found throughout the Bible is, do not ignore that that day is coming. We've seen it throughout our study of the book of Isaiah. And here in chapter 34 and 35, we're going to get perhaps the most vivid picture yet. It is a picture that serves as both a warning and an encouragement for these people here in the time of Isaiah and for us and for perhaps the generations that come after us. We can look at this and we can know that because shadows of this day have already come, that this day will come. The text we're about to read at, at spots is, is pretty graphic. And I'm going to warn you of that, but I'm also going to say that it makes the hope at the end of it all the better. So let all of this give us a greater awareness 
of an eternal Lord who, who shakes us up so that we can be his messengers in preparation for that day. Because on any day, the Lord will say to all people, today's the day. And depending on what side you're on, that's either going to be the best news or the worst news that you've ever heard. The main point of all of this is your outline. In the end, on that day, the Lord's enemies will be eternally silenced and at the same time, on the same day, the Lord's people will be eternally singing. Let's first read chapter 34 of Isaiah. And as a reminder, this is, this is a time in which for them, to the best of their knowledge, the day, the funeral has come. Assyria is about to invade. I'll start with verse 1 and just read through the end. Draw near, O nations, to hear, and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear, and all that fills it, the world, and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations, and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over for slaughter. They're slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall, as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree, for my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom. Upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fats of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Bozrah, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood. And their soil shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation, it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there is no one there to call it a kingdom. And all its princes shall be nothing. Thorns shall grow over its strongholds. Nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be the haunt of jackals and abode for ostriches, and wild animals shall meet with hyenas. The wild goat shall cry to his fellow, Indeed, there the night bird settles and finds for herself a resting place. There the owl nests and lays and hatches and gathers her young in her shadow. Indeed, there the hawks are gathered, each one with her mate. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. 
None shall be without her mate. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded, and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. That's the funeral. Let's not miss the double vision here. I mean, this this is a vision of what an invading army does. We see judgment in verses 1 and 2. We see a whole lot of destruction in verses 3 through 10. And we see conquered land in verses 11 through 15. And finally, in verses 16 through 17, we hear a boast that this was all done according to plan. And Assyria did do this to an extent. They did do what these verses picture. Their goal was to silence the Lord's people. That's what an invading army does. That's what the funeral looks like. That's how it ends for so many. But we see a second vision here. This is a picture of Judgment Day. Where the Lord's enemies are eternally silenced. Let's walk back through that verse breakdown I just mentioned. In verses 1 and 2, we see the Lord judging not just one land, but everybody. Let the earth hear, and let all that fills it, every living thing. And a judgment is made on the whole earth. And then destruction comes. Let me highlight just a few verses of this destruction. Verse 4b says, All their hosts shall fall, as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. So the Lord is saying, One day, there will be bodies stacked so high that they will resemble the leaves that are about to cover your yard. On every street, in every city, Of all the earth. Can you imagine that day? And in verse 6. Even the, the animals are piled up. It's like sacrifice after sacrifice. Is being made. Death after death. And none of it is satisfying. God's wrath. This enemy will not be stopped. This is so similar to the language found all throughout the Old Testament. Where the Lord's people only offer these religious sacrifices. And they don't really love the Lord. And the Lord sees their heart. And he is not satisfied with what they offer. And so according to this. Even into the future, after God's continued mercy, well after the time of Isaiah, there will still be so many people that will blindly walk in to their own funeral. And what happens next? In verses 9 through 10, we see a vision of something that 
when you think about it, is actually even darker. What was once water and land are not simply turned into an empty wasteland. We actually see a vision of hell. A burning fire that will not go out. This is the eternal home for all people who reject the Lord. It's like every tragedy that you read in your Bible and every tragedy throughout history is nothing compared to what is going to happen. Can you imagine that day? There are a number of connections to Revelation going on here. A day of judgment and final defeat and eternal silencing in hell. And so Revelation, which honestly most people don't read, it's just the weird outcast of the Bible. It's actually being previewed right here. So when people tell you, like, the Roman Catholic Church made up hell to get people to be good, you can point them to Isaiah. This is a fuller picture right here of what God has been planning all along. A big funeral for everybody who is against him. And that helps explain the last few verses, which are kind of cryptic, about all these animals and their mates and kind of wandering around. This is the aforementioned boast of the invading army, like it's all part of the plan. Verses 16 through 17 says, Even of the most insignificant survivors, seek and read the book of the Lord. And he says elsewhere, Not one shall be missing. He's cast a lot for them. There's a lot I could say about this. But all I'll say is that this, these verses are saying he is in control of every last detail. This is by the Lord's hand. And so the aim of all of this, this terrible imagery, is to say one thing. The Lord is judge of everyone throughout history, and so only he can spare you. And as we read last week, if you do not have the Spirit of the Lord in you, this story is your eternity. It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how many good works you rack up. If you're not dependent on the Spirit of the Lord, that's you. That's your story. How does this apply? Well, to you, church, I'd say this. Plead with those who are not dependent on the Lord. And yes, I obviously mean things like plead with people like your angry relative, who you're going to see at Thanksgiving, and everybody knows how much he hates Jesus, and he's burned every relationship that he has. And complains about everything all the time. Yes, plead with that person. 
or plead with the, the president of the atheist club on your campus. Yes, plead with that person. Plead with every stereotypical villain you see in every Christian movie. Yes, plead with that person. But don't stop there. I also mean, plead with the freshman who thinks all religions are valid and is kind and unassuming. And I mean, plead with your neighbors who, you know, you might think about sharing the gospel with them, but to be honest, their kids aren't that crazy. And they, they both have good jobs. And to be honest, they often seem more loving than you do. I've got people like that in my life. Do you? And my problem is that I tend to want to wait for a funeral to tell them about Jesus. Or I wait for, for some crisis. But the problem with that is that the gospel is not a warm blanket for cold people. And the gospel is not even good news for bad people. It's life for dead people. And that's everybody who doesn't have the spirit of the Lord in them this morning. That's everybody. I'll be honest, guys. Sometimes I get so distracted and I get so numbed into just being a nice person that I forget that a funeral's coming. There's a great preacher named Vodi Bauckham, and he says this, Hell will be filled with people who do not smoke and do not curse and did not have sex outside of marriage. Because not one of those makes you a Christian. Has somebody pleaded with you this morning? Are you the one wondering if you actually have the Spirit of God in you? If not, I plead with you. Has the Lord cut you this morning with his word? If you don't depend on him this morning, you can. The funeral is not here yet. Right here at Grace Fellowship, you can get baptized. It's coming up soon. We don't even have to wait till November. I'll do it today. Because baptism represents the death of Christ. It represents the fact that Jesus went to his own funeral so you don't have to. And on that day, you will live. And here's what else will happen. On that day, in addition to a funeral, there's going to be a wedding. Instead of eternal silence, the Lord's people will eternally sing. Let's look at chapter 35 together. I'm going to simply highlight a few points. Point two, all God's people will be brought into eternal singing. 
So one of the first reasons for singing is that the, the land, instead of being eternally on fire, is eternally brimming with life for God's people. This is covered in verses 1 and 2 and verses 5 through 9, but I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. This is a wedding. All this says is that the earthly redemption coming is simply a manifestation of who the Lord is. And that sounds crazy in light of what I just read. But let me explain. The Lord is the Lord of judgment, yes. And we've seen that all throughout history. But all throughout history, we've also seen that the Lord is a Lord of mercy and redemption. Verses 5 through 9 of this chapter, which I'm not going to read, they just describe a little more of that majesty. That the blind people will see and the deaf people will hear. That the people who were once on track for the funeral instead get to go to a wedding. And this too is a bit of a double vision. Because we know from history that Jerusalem was not totally leveled. And we know that the people were not totally destroyed. And the Lord did come, and he literally gave sight to the blind and opened the ears of the deaf. And this, too, pointed to something eternal. On the cross... Jesus gave us the only way to an eternity of peace with him. The only way to the wedding. A restored heart. You can't have a wedding like this without one. It's not a wedding if, don't, if both people don't love each other. So Jesus offers us open eyes and open ears and not just simply these eyes and these ears like we sang, the eyes and the ears of our hearts. And he died to seal that promise. And his eyes were shut with blood and his ears were shut with blood so that yours could be opened. And then he rose again to show us that a funeral is coming, but a wedding is coming too. From that, we see hope. Because the wedding's not here yet, in the same way that the funeral is not here yet. We see hope present for the Lord's people as we wait for the wedding in verses 3 through 4. Let's look at it together. 
Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. It is so hard to wait for the wedding, isn't it? So this mercy, which pours out of the Lord, in addition to saving us, it enables us to give encouragement to people who are tired of waiting. And they just want the wedding to come. Christians who may be weak and anxious can actually turn to one another and say, don't be afraid. You will go to the wedding because the Lord went. He's there now. My favorite contrast in these two chapters is the absence of blood in this chapter. After so much blood in the previous chapter. Because when you think about it, for those people who do not depend on the Lord, who do not have the Spirit of the Lord in them, on that day, on Judgment Day, their blood will be demanded of them. But for those people who do belong to the Lord, on that day, they have no fear. And they even have no fear as they wait. Because they know Jesus himself has already provided the blood. It's because of this great biblical picture made fuller right here in Isaiah and culminating at the cross that we can sing a song to one another even as the world appears to be burning. Because one day, for the Lord's people, it will never burn again. Ever. And we'll sing the song that we read in verse 10. Look at it with me. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So on the day the blade falls and so many perish, many will not. And they will come home to eternity with the Lord. And sorrow will flee away and there will be no more sighing. Be all done. How does this apply now? Well, I've already said it, but as much as we plead with those who do not depend on the Lord... And perhaps more, we are to encourage those who do depend on the Lord. And I'll be honest, sometimes I am so patient with my unbelieving, mate, with my unbelieving neighbors, and I am so impatient with my brothers and sisters. 
What is wrong? We are to encourage those who do depend on the Lord. Here's what I mean. Make a meal for six people for the church? Sure. Adopt a college student? Yeah. Do that. Meet with one another for prayer and discipleship? Yes, absolutely. That, those are all ways that we're going to strengthen the weak hands and the knees of people. That's how we help people wait, and that's how we encourage them day by day. We build one another up in the Lord. The Lord is the point. And again, as I said last week, I think we do this well here. So what I'm going to say here is a reminder, again, and not an indictment. Let me do that, begin to do that, by giving you maybe a more nuanced version of how making the Lord the point and encouraging people in the Lord plays out when we're discipling people. For example, kids, if you've messed up for the millionth time and you cry to your parents, I never get it right. And you just want to give up? The correct reply of mom and dad and grandma and grandpa is not, oh, sweetie, you're awesome. It's actually a lot better for them to say, you know, sweetie, you may have a hard time obeying, but do you know how forgiving God is? He forgives you every time because Jesus obeyed. And you don't get tired, parents, of encouraging your kids. And when you get tired of encouraging them, you encourage one another to keep encouraging. You don't give up. Or perhaps some of you are friends with a Christian brother or sister who are sick or they're suffering with health problems. And their knees and their arms and their hands are, are literally weak. It is not helpful to make blanket statements like, cheer up, it'll get better, because it might not here. It might actually get a lot worse. Instead, it is far more helpful for you to walk with them through those tears and to help fix their minds clearly, not on here, but on eternity, where as we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, which you may want to write down, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Because you know what, guys? Sometimes I forget that the wedding's coming too. So in all this, whether we are encouraging our brothers and sister or we're pleading with people who are rejecting the Lord and they're refusing to rest in his spirit, the Lord is the point and the Lord has been the point and the Lord will be the point forever. 
His enemies will be eternally silenced as we encourage one another. And his people will be eternally singing as we encourage one another. So please, do not get tired of waiting for the wedding. The promised land is being prepared. And because of Jesus, we are bound for it. But friends, Isaiah pleaded with the Lord's people this same message. And they did not listen. And he encouraged them with what the Lord would do. And still, they would not listen. And the sword fell. And they all went to a funeral. And it was their funeral. And as we close this section of Isaiah, we're going to make a jump forward, historically speaking, and we're going to read the conquest of Assyria. There's a big gap right there in Isaiah. And now the invasion is here. And we're going to read about the conquest and what the Lord would do next. And we're going to see an even fuller picture of this story that ends in a funeral, but it also ends in a wedding. History will move even closer towards the arrival of Jesus. And for us, as we wait for something even better, the return of Jesus, let's plead with people who do not depend on the Lord's Spirit. And let us please encourage those who do. And let's take heart as we wait for Judgment Day. And after that, a wedding that does not end. Let's pray. Lord, I'll be honest, I get so caught up in everyday life that it often takes a wedding or a funeral for me to get my eyes on something bigger. Lord, you do this to shake us up so that we could be your messengers. That we could warn people, that we could encourage people, and in all things that we, we ourselves would not grow tired of waiting for the wedding. Lord, we look forward to that day. We thank you so much for the promise of Jesus, which seals us. Lord, may we encourage one another. Amen.